Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of MA Architects Make It Innovative, featuring deep dive discussions on the world of innovation as it relates to the built environment. I am Mark Bryan, the Director of Innovation Research for MA Architects, and I am really excited for the conversation we're about to have today. We're going to be talking about values, community, and how you can align with a wonderful cause. Thanks, Mark. I'm Sam Moeller, the Director of Strategic Communications for MA, an expert on human behavior, well-being, and mental health, and in part of my job responsibility, managing corporate and social responsibility for MA, which brings us to today's guest. I could not be more honored to introduce our guest, Oyama Garrison, President and CEO of A Kid Again, MA's corporate and social responsibility partner for three years running now and one of my absolute favorite. The mission of A Kid Again is to exist to foster hope, happiness, and healing for children with life-threatening conditions and their families. This organization makes life for families caring for a child with a life-threatening condition normal again by helping them gain back moments of positive family-shared experiences and memories that they call adventures. They host monthly, and we'll get in a little bit more of a conversation about that later and some really exciting information on how you can get involved as well. So welcome to the show, Oyama. Welcome. Absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Man, I wasn't expecting that voice. I know. You're made for radio. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oyama, before we get started talking about your professional world, we want our listeners to get to know you a little bit more personally. So I have three questions. You ready? I'm ready. Yes. If you had a spontaneous day off, what is the first thing you would do? So those who know me know that I would likely lace up my tennis shoes and go for a really long run. So yes. I enjoy long distance running. Tell them what you mean when you say long distance. So long distance to me is anything that's probably 20 miles plus. So the ability to get out there and enjoy some fresh air and hopefully the sun is shining, that's love and joy for me. So insane. Your longest run ever has been what? My longest run has been 50 miles. You lost me at 20. <laughs> I was like- I'm a runner too. My longest run is a half marathon, and that was a year-long goal last year. So I, I like being outside with you, but I think I'll, I'll bow out probably around like eight miles. It's so funny. I, I think back when people say when you interview, if someone says that they're in sports or they, you know, what they like to do, it's so indicative of that person's personality. Oyama running 50 miles tells you everything you need to know about him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do anything normal or mildly. Everything is like the most extreme, the most incredible. I love it. All right. Best thing that happened to you this year? Best thing that happened to me this year is the ability to actually be able to hug families again. Uh, In the midst of everything that's been going on, we've had a number of our family members who have been able to get inoculated, uh, and myself as well. And so it's been great to be able to get out there. And for those who have been vaccinated and gotten both doses, depending on the nature of where you are in that journey, uh, it's felt good to hug again. So I'm a hugger. I love it. So I love it. Oh, so special. Last question. Best way to decompress? Best way to decompress, and this is going to sound really, really corny, but I just like to veg out on just crappy old TV shows that just are mindless in some respects. Love that. And uh, it's, you know, it's a chance just to kind of get away from everything else that's going on and just enjoy something that doesn't require a whole lot of your attention. What's your (laughs) go-to? So... Uh, I grew up in a household where, you know, the horror movies and everything else was really kind of scary for me as a kid. And now I actually like zombie movies. Really? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tune in to some of the most ridiculous zombie movies where you just know that it's just, just over the top. Yeah. Just ridiculous. But yeah. How funny you've come a long way. <laughs> 
Well, now that we know you a little bit more on the personal side, let's just dive right into the professional side. So I think the first thing is, can you share a little bit about A Kid Again and what the mission of A Kid Again really is? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the biggest way for me to describe what we do as an organization is just think about it when you were a kid and the ability to be able to go out and be normal, to have fun and do the things that other kids do. This is not the world for some of the kids that we serve. So the kids that we serve are typically kids who are battling some level of a life-threatening condition. About 40, some cases, 45% of the families that we serve, the child is also wheelchair-bound. So they may or may not have some of the flexibility that we see other kids that may have. So when you think about medical conditions, you think about all those things that typically come into play, these kids often have to, pre-pandemic, may have already had to wear, wear masks. They may already have had to have gloves on or do the sanitation and everything else just to ensure that they don't further exacerbate any potentials for you know infections or any other diseases or anything else that could jeopardize their existing health as it stands today. So we at A Kid Again are all about fostering hope, happiness, and healing. And I like to sum it all up by saying the ability to put a smile on a kid's face. Who doesn't want to do that? Who doesn't want to see a kid smiling, having fun, creating great memories that for many of them will last well beyond their lifetime? And this organization has been around for 25 years doing exactly that for thousands of families, not only here in central Ohio, but now reaching into many more states. I know. I was going to say, I got to tell you, having worked with your organization so closely, the amount of gratitude from the kids and from the families is so humbling. And it really is the best kept secret organization. It's unbelievable to me how many families, thousands and thousands of families you guys serve, but how many people still have yet to hear about you guys and how much potential, which you know brings me to in 2017, you were appointed the first ever president and CEO of A Kid Again, recognizing it as a national office. And so since then, just 2017, you know, I know you have a background with many executive roles in insurance and you have a lot of depth and expertise in identifying paths for development and have used that because in since 2017, you've now gone from three chapters to six and expanded into 15 states, correct? From one to 15. That is correct. Oh, Yama doesn't sleep, you guys. <laughs> he is on a mission and I'm so proud to be even a tiny, tiny part of that. But it is wild to me to think what you've already done in less than four years it's, it's teamwork. You know, the reality is, is when you've got good people who have good hearts and who wants to really make a difference in the lives of others, it's easy work at that point. And so when we think about what, this, what, what we can actually achieve as human beings to help others, there's somewhere around 1.5 million kids across our great nation battling some level of a life-threatening condition. And at any given point, at any given point, there's somewhere around five to 10,000 of those kids living the last six months of their life. So what can we do? I think we should do any and everything we can to ensure there's some good quality of life for those kids, that they can create memories that also include their siblings. And so there's, a, there's another dynamic to why we are just such an incredible organization and why I feel so humble and so blessed to be a part of it. The reality is, is to take care of a child battling some level of a life-threatening condition can run anywhere from $400,000 to $600,000 a year. That is absolutely catastrophic for most families. Now imagine you're having to work with a child or raise a child for the next 10 years through cancer, leukemia, acute forms of sickle cell, whatever the, 
condition may be, you don't have discretionary income to be able to go out and live what we deem to be a normal life with others. So when we talk about it being a best kept secret, it absolutely was for a period in time. You know, it's sort of like when people say spot the orange car on the road. Well, now people are seeing the orange car more. And why? Because we're doing, I believe, a great job of not only telling the story, but engaging more families, great partners like M&A, and the ability to really just get out there and talk about the good that we all can do to make a difference in the lives of others. I love it. I think the really unique thing about your organization, from my experience, is you guys do also really care for the sibling. And we had interviewed a few mothers in particular through a project with MA Productions, and the one mom had shared, anytime I go to the hospital with my little girl who was the the sick child, my two sons are without a mother. And she said, you know, there are times where it's a week at a time, they don't have a mom at home, you know, and you you forget about that because so much attention is given to the sick child, rightfully so, what is the other option? But at the same time, it, it then leaves the siblings to be in a place of neglect. And I love what you're saying too with that financial burden on these families and none of them think of it as a burden none of them I've yet to meet one they all feel like they are the most fortunate the most blessed but these families financially are strapped and some of them shared with us also especially during this one interview that sometimes they'll pay for all of them to go to the movies and then their child has an episode you know whether they have you know, they're on the spectrum or whatever it may be, something even more aggressive than that. They have a seizure and now they've spent $200, which is a huge spend. And now they have to go all leave and go home. So A Kid Again, Your Adventures cover the entire family, full costs and even meals at every single adventure. I think a really fun statistic, it's $35 an adventure per child. So we use that a lot at MA to drive competition when we're fundraising because, you know, it's like I, I raised money for this many adventures and I love it, the healthy competition, because what could be a greater cause? But $35 to make such a significant impact is insane to think about and then covers the entire family. So not only alleviating that that financial burden, but then also just presenting those opportunities for them you guys do amazing things like shutting down the zoo every year, which Columbus's zoo is top rated in the entire United States, you know, and you shut it down exclusively for a Kittigan family so that with those with accessibility issues, which we're going to get into a little bit more today, have full reign of the zoo. You know, they don't have to worry about being wheelchair bound or having their breathing tanks with them or their oxygen. You know, they can scoot around and enjoy it the way that they're meant to, you know, like any other kid could. And it is just the most humbling I'm going to stop so I can ask you more questions. So I am so passionate about this organization that I'm going to have to try and shut my mouth. I love it. It's not easy. But, hey, I want to know, the organization, where you are currently, what is your vision for where it will be in five years? So let me back up here and just just accent everything that you just said. And that is $35. If you think about it, we spend that probably on a cup of coffee an entire week for most people in some respects, Right. And $35 could be the difference for a child to really be able to say they feel normal at any of these adventures. And so let me just really quick what it is that we do and why we do it and where we're going. So what it is that we do, we actually provide recreational therapeutic relief. That is the big fancy medical term for fun. That's what we do. (laughs) We provide fun on an ongoing basis. That simply means we try to provide unique adventure opportunities on a monthly basis that really galvanizes the entire family. So when you think about kids that are dealing with cancer, sickle cell, whatever the condition may be, because we are a condition agnostic organization. We accept any and all life-threatening conditions. We don't focus on just any singular one. So when you think about that kid, oftentimes the focus is just on that one child. 
we include the siblings. And why do we do that? If you think about it, siblings often feel left out when the parents focus on just a singular child and the parents are focusing on that child because there's the need there for that level of focus. They're not uh, intentionally leaving their other kids out. So we at A Kid Again, we are all about the holistic approach with the family. There's a mental and behavioral aspect that's associated to the inclusion of the siblings in all the adventures that we put on. And there have been moments where the child, that's the initial reason why they're a part of the program, is unable to attend an adventure, and yet the family still gets to go. That's a powerful point. That's a powerful moment because what it says to the siblings is, we also care about you. And so when you think about all that this entails in terms of the ability to keep the family together, to give these children something to look forward to, something that they can do almost every month for as long as they're on this earth, right? We don't have a limit. So we don't limit them to one specific journey to Disney. We don't limit them to one specific adventure. They can go to here in this market, Kings Island, Cedar Point, as often as they want, as long as they're a part of this program. They can go and visit the OSU games. They can do all of those types of things. And what we've learned is when we have this conversation with other families and other hospitals outside of the Central Ohio community, they quickly respond and say, we needed you here yesterday because you fill a void in the niche that we don't currently have in our market. And they're absolutely right. And so that's led us to this mission and this mission of how do we take the goodness of something that's been developed here in central Ohio and spread the word, spread the love, spread the hope, spread the happiness and get it into other markets. So as we've reached out and as we've talked to other hospitals, as we've talked to other nonprofits, that's led us on this journey from my vision and my vision is a very simple vision. I like to keep things simple. You know, the whole KISS methodology, yes. right? <laughs> and so it's easy to say, oh, we want to have X, Y, and Z. The reality is I just simply want to be able to deliver more smiles on more kids' faces across our great nation who can benefit from the work and the service that we do. And we do this out of the generosity and the support of all the volunteers, all the supporters and donors who help us live into this mission and vision. We are one of the few nonprofits out there that exist where the vast majority of the dollars that we get in go right back out into the programming. That's because we want to provide a cost-free, care-free experience for all of our families. So that vision, delivering those smiles on kids' faces across our great, our great nation, that's what we want to do. We want to reach more kids. We want more families to get enrolled. And the other great thing about it is we don't care about your economic and social status in the community. Every kid can be a part of a kid again. So inclusive. I think that's amazing. I think the other unique thing is it's our communities. You know, and now that you are in 15 states, it's kids that you see out and about and you start to create relationships with. You know, one in particular for me is Genoa. He is such a special little angel and he is just the cutest, funniest. And I've got to watch him grow over the last three years into this incredible little man. And, you know, it's a different thing than donating and sending a check away. You get to really experience and become a part of these families' lives. And then the other really neat thing is it's broken down to your point 
point into monthly adventures. So every month they have something to look forward to. It's not this one big trip to Disney and then it's like anticlimactic from there. It's every single month creating community and fostering connection, which is one of Mark's great passions in research and innovation. How do you create connection and community, particularly in a post-COVID world? So it's so interesting because we can talk a little bit too about how you guys pivoted during COVID with having such a huge population of immunocompromised families. You know, obviously you were the number one audience that had to be the most careful, yet you still held monthly adventures. Do you want to talk about how you innovated through that and used technology, which is also Mark's other passion to, to do so? <laughs> you know, the, the thing that we often have to, um, th- that I like to be able to share is that our families were already experiencing some of these dynamics well before the pandemic hit. So they were prepared. They knew these types of things could happen. And so when the pandemic hit, I got to tell you, I am absolutely fortunate to have an incredible team that is creative, that is innovative, and doesn't back down from a challenge. So when the directive started to come down that we needed to shelter in place, that perhaps we needed to start thinking about alternative work arrangements and everything else to ensure that we can try to suppress the potential of the spread of COVID throughout our state. I met with our team on a Friday, Friday, March 13th of 2020. And in two hours, in two hours, I'm gonna tell you about the impressive nature of this team. In two hours, we went from, well, we can't do this to let's start exploring during this. So when we get our families together pre-pandemic, it was all about getting them together in clusters of groups so that they can create a community. And in that community, we can have 20 people who are getting together to go off and do an adventure or 4,000 people getting together to go off and do an adventure. And when you're in the middle of a pandemic, you don't want to do that because we want to be a willing participant in trying to suppress everything that was going on. So they started thinking, well, listen, we can probably put on these nice virtual events and opportunities to enrich the lives of the kids and keep people engaged. And we did. We launched one of the first, as we like to say it, global magic shows where one of our great partners John Petz led this initiative and we had magicians from all across the world let me reemphasize that all across the world from New Zealand from I mean you name it all across participating putting on magic tricks doing all kinds of things to entertain the kids we had over 50,000 people tuning in to see this and to enjoy this experience, which was incredible. We've done virtual scavenger hunts, and the kids loved it. So, you know, you think about the things that we can utilize and that we can do remotely that keeps the family unit together where they can still have fun and they can have a little bit of a competitive nature against some of the others in the community. That's what this team did. And then we said, let's take it one step further. What else can we do to help them even if they did want to get out and get a little bit of fresh air, but could still be safe. So then we launched Adventures in a Box, and we got together with our partners, and we put all these goodies in there, you know, all the trinkets in there, fun board games and activities, all kinds of stuff that they can do as a family unit, and put them in a box, decorated the outside of the box. We had our partners at (laughs) M&A and so many other great people out there, and created this sort of drive-through experience. So can you imagine being a child and you're in a car, you're safe, 
you maybe have the window down so you can get a little bit of fresh air and you're in this sort of caravan driving through and you see the the representatives from the Columbus crew or the Blue Jackets or OSU you know former players and you see all these people out there dressed up in costumes and juggling and in some of our locations we even had zoo animals out so when you think about all of that and you get a chance to see that in the midst of a pandemic it does nothing but brighten your soul and that's exactly what we saw. Our families loved it and kept saying, when's the next one? When's the next one? Because that's what you unlock. You unlock the magic. It's easy. It's easy when the, when the shelter in place and all these other things came down to say, oh, my gosh, and be frozen like a deer in headlights. It's easy to do that. But what's more incredible is when you break through and you break free of that and you unlock the imagination. And as a result of all of this, that's what led us to amplify our expansion because we realized, too, we could reach more families. More families could benefit from the adventures in the box. More families can benefit from our virtual adventures, and that's exactly what happened. We had families tuning in from the West Coast, from south, you know, southern states. We had them from all over asking, how do we get involved? How do I sign up? And we're not going to say no. And we're going to find a way to continue to provide great services and adventures as we continue to expand. Well, and I think I'm just sitting here in awe, like my head is just nodding up and down. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> because the what's really inspiring to me is that what you did is you didn't say, okay, what do we have to sacrifice in order to you know, go forward. You said, we're going to maintain our level of experience going forward. We're going to amplify it. We're going to make it even better, more interactive. We're going to expand. And that's where, what true innovation is about. You know, you're taking all of the, the pieces and parts that you're saying, okay, what can we do that still allows us to do what our mission is, what our, our aligned mission is? You know, one of the behavior sentiments that we talk about is coping together, because a lot of people are trying to figure out, like, in this era of pandemic living, what are our values? Like, what can we do to support? What can we do to ground ourselves in like the local environment? And I feel like this is the prime example of that. But give us an example of like, so the pandemic, you said in two hours, like what, what drove your innovations? Like, where did the ideas come from? Like, how did you try to figure out what the next step looked like? So the biggest piece we did is we said, all right, listen, here's the whiteboard. Let's just throw all the ideas up right? Let's think outside of the box and better yet, let's just tear up the box and let's just start anew. <laughs> yeah. If we were thinking about this organization starting from ground zero today in the midst of where we are, how would we go about engaging the families? And when we did that, the, I mean, just the creative juices started to flow and people tossed up all kinds of things. And we even tossed up esports and the ability, how do you engage that generation that's really into the online gaming and everything else? And now We've got universities involved in our esports. We have actual real deal sports figures who are out there engaging in esports with us. And that's been another piece that's taken off. So even in the midst of the virtual online adventures, adventures in the box, and now esports, all of that started with us in two hours saying, toss it all up there. We recognize that we're a nonprofit. We don't have the same capabilities in terms of technology as many of the for-profit institutions do, but we're not going to allow that to stop us because we have great partners out there, and when we present it to them, they will help us find a way, and that's exactly what happened. So don't limit ourselves to what we believe is just the confines of what we have capabilities to do. The limit should be how far can we stretch even those who want to support us because chances are they have the intellect, 
the capacity and the will to help us put the smiles on these kids' faces. And at the end of the day, that's what we singularly focus in on. You can ask anyone on this team. There are customer-centric organizations that exist out there. There are people-centric organizations. You name it in terms of how they structure their business model. We are a kid-focused organization. And so everything that we think about is how can we improve the lives of those kids and put a smile on their face? When we did that and they started unlocking it and tossing things up on the whiteboard, we didn't X anything out. We put a few things in the parking lot because it required a little bit more in-depth detail, you know, analysis and research. But in the end, almost everything that hit that whiteboard has come to life. Well, and it makes me think of uh, a couple projects that we've worked on where we are working with children and they are dealing with trauma, whether it's medical or otherwise. And the thing that we came away with, we, we talked with a psychologist and we said, okay, how, what, what do we need to do for children when they are dealing with something so big in their life and they're so young and, and they just haven't developed all the skill sets? And they're like, you need to replace it with something else. You need to replace it with a new memory. You need to replace it with a new action, a new experience. And experiences, as we know in the retail world, but also for children, it, it makes your mind uh, feel happier longer. And it's something that you will cherish. And so I think it's just truly fascinating um, all that you're doing, given this, you know, like the challenge of, of living in the pandemic is we're also living in this desynchronized society, right, where people are doing things at different hours because of what their function is, which is probably what your families were doing with to begin with. And now you're helping them to align with being able to still have an experience given whatever their life looks like. Yeah, you know, the, the beauty behind this is when, uh, when our families respond to us, I often tell people the biggest accolade we can ever get is when a family says you've thought of everything. Because to me, that means we've hit nirvana. That means we have really lived into who we are as an organization because we really want to make this as easy as possible for them. And in this moment of this pandemic, we know that many of our kids have already had a number of challenges pre-COVID. And so now you have this sense of isolation. And so that's what we wanted to do is find ways where we could break that isolation up. Now, as things progressed in the second half of 2020, we did revisit some of what we called our open air environment adventures. And that gave us a chance to bring families together who felt like they could manage reasonably in these open air environments. So when we decided that we were gonna go back to the zoo and actually have that in-person adventure in the zoo, we thought we would only get maybe 200, 300 people that would come out. We had almost 2,000. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> right? So not only were they looking forward to it, but it was so well organized, so well managed. Our partners at the Columbus Zoo did an incredible job that the families felt safe and there are no known instances, right? And so they had an opportunity to come out and do something. So we continue to explore that a little bit further just to find those great niches where we can, where we can bring those families together and they can continue to feel normal. So those are the ways that we can help break up the isolation because, again, in this world right now that we're living in, that's another mental piece that these kids have to wrestle with on top of their already diagnosed conditions. So how can we help? Again, I'll, I'll keep dripping this. How do we keep putting a smile 
on their face. I love it. I love that it keeps coming back to that being the mission too. You know, that everything that you do comes back to that. And I think you wouldn't necessarily think immediately as a nonprofit being the most innovative company. And you guys were. And I think the skills that you demonstrated in that moment where you took so many obstacles and turned it into an opportunity is literally the definition of innovation. It would have been so easy to have been paralyzed, like you said, and have said, well, we can't do the way we've always done it. So we're just going to take a pause, you know, and then think how many people you would have disappointed and let go. So instead, to take that moment to ideate and to say how can we do it differently more efficiently more effectively more you know tech driven or whatever use the skills that we have and what you guys have created instead is possibly even greater than anything you could have imagined had you not been put in that position where you were forced to innovate and so you chose to keep moving you chose to to do that brave thing and you know, now you have a futurist on, on dial, so Ready. you'll never have that problem again. Well, you know, we're, we're looking at how do we even uh, innovate with our Adventures in a Box. We're testing right now a STEM-based uh, Adventure in a Box opportunity. Uh, we want to keep the cognitive piece of this entire component going as well. So when I tell you the team is constantly thinking, they're constantly thinking from the vantage of a kid, and then how do you keep that stimulation going, that mental stimulation, and then how do you keep them engaged, and how do you dial down the, the feeling of isolation? So we're getting creative, both on the art side, both on the STEM side, I mean, you name it, and then just the general nature of just having fun. I yes. mean, when's the last time you can say that you got on a swing? I mean, for many of us as, as adults, we go, well, I have to really think about that. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that we're encouraging them to do when it makes good sense in their communities is just go do X, Y, and Z as a part of either the exercise, the scavenger hunt, all this stuff is in their box. So I, I want to contextualize that just a little bit because I feel like, so we've talked about, you know, these kids have life-threatening illnesses, but can you maybe just give our listeners like a bit of a context? When we were talking about putting STEM in a box, that may sound simplistic, but to the kids that you're serving, what are some of the uh, accessibility challenges that they face or the other inclusivity or diverse issues that you're dealing with to give them some context to that? That's an excellent question. We have to also, we are very aware of the fact that some of our kids do not have um, full motor skills. So their hands may be locked. They may not be able to maneuver some of the items that are in there. So we think through a lot of that. We want to include items that siblings can actually utilize, but then they can also help that child, their other sibling that's wrestling with whatever that condition happens to be, so that they can also feel included in the exercise. Uh, we've got some items that we can put in there that kids who don't have motor skills can still utilize perhaps their head for, whether it's some level of painting or whatever the case may be. Uh, so we, we, we tend to think through a lot of that. Have we thought of it all? No. Are we always looking for new ideas? Absolutely. Uh, but this is a new environment that we're working in. I often go back to one of the experiences I had when I first joined the organization, and that is, is we, when we went to the zoo, and we do, or I should say the Columbus Zoo does shut it down for us, but there's a small period in time when traditional zoo goers are still there as our families are coming in and as they're exiting out. And I'll never forget this moment where I saw, I'll call it general population, who some people stopped and started looking at this child who was in a wheelchair and started to take pictures. And I think about that because from the vantage that they were in, they were thinking, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with your kid? And we're thinking there's nothing wrong with this kid. This kid's normal. So when we are packaging up these adventures in the box, we're thinking from that vantage of how can we help our children feel normal while at the same time recognizing that there may be some level of 
of needed accessibility for some of the items that we do provide. So even in the esports arena, we know that some of them have, I don't know what the medical terms are uh, for it, but they have um, devices that allow for eye tracking Yes. Mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. they can actually participate. We actually have video footage of one of our families who is doing just that, utilizing the eye tracking as they are engaging in the esports opportunity. It was so cool to see because that kid felt like they were actually a part of it and didn't have to use a joystick, for those of us that remember Atari. Didn't have to <laughs> use a joystick, right? So think about that. That's how we're trying to break through to be inclusive as we possibly can. What I'm hearing, too, is normalizing. And I know that a lot of the families have shared with me in conversations that I've had that it is so wonderful for their kids to see another kid in a wheelchair or another kid with a trach or another kid with a similar, you know, whether it's a visible or an invisible disease to create that connection. And so, you know, we work a lot with Ken Yeager from Ohio State, the lead neuroscience researcher, and he says one of the key ways to heal from trauma is normalization. So people who are able to speak about an experience or talk about it, those are the people that he knows are the most resilient, you know, the top of that chart. But those that are unable to speak about it or really trying to compartmentalize it or try to ignore it, that's where he starts to get concerned about someone. So creating this safe space is what I'm hearing where everyone is included. All, you know, everything is accessible because you guys have thought about it. You've put in that intentionality and in creating safe spaces. And then you have so much diversity, both in, you know, illnesses, but then also in socioeconomic classes, in ethnicities, in genders, in you name it, you know, identifications, whatever. So it's so, so special that you guys work such beautifully to normalize things. And it's so powerful. So I'll add in here, if you think about some kids have auditory uh, uh, issues and or concerns. And so simple things like Play-Doh and Legos become their voice because they can utilize that to help mold and manipulate and be able to show what it is that's of interest to them. I've got a kid that every time I see him, he pulls out various little action figures and point to them to try to help people understand his mood and or what he's thinking at the time. Wow. So that's what we, you know, if, if there are people out there, if there are listeners out there saying, hey, how can we help? There's, there's obviously the financial side of this, and we always welcome that. But we also accept the donations of things that we can actually put in our boxes that we know that our kids will actually enjoy. I actually had a conversation with one of our other partners because in the midst of the pandemic, they haven't been able to go out to all the career fairs and do all that stuff. So they have like boxes of squishy toys. And I told him, we will take them. And you know why? Because our kids love those things oh, yeah. because it's helping them build muscles where you may think it's relieving stress. They're actually using it almost as a therapeutic device. So reimagining even the simplest things that we come in contact with can actually help with their therapeutic journey. Just giving new framework. I mean, it makes me, so I think it was two years ago, we did a multi-generational charrette and we had a kid again come in with some of the families just to talk about like, what is, what are the challenges of their daily lives? And it was so moving to me. Like they talked about just being able to get into a park, just being able to get into a restroom. You know, there was a family that shared, you know, when they go into a restroom in a public facility, they may have to lay the child on the floor in order to, to change them or to, to address them. And to me, that just make, made us want to be better at accessibility. Mm -hmm. And so it just 
really makes you stop and pause and, like you said, I think rethink of the framework of the items that you have on a daily basis and what they can do to serve others in a different way and how you can push beyond just what the normal level of expected um, accessibility is. Even from a code building perspective, Mm -hmm. because I remember in those conversations, one was light switches. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Isaiah was here with us and he is wheelchair bound. He's third. 13 now, but, you know, he can't flip a light switch without really having to hyperextend his arms and things like that, that, you know, from a a building perspective, as we speak about architecture, that's totally normal code. But how can we challenge ourselves even to be better than what's expected? And I think that is the whole conversation around diversity, inclusion, and accessibility. How can we be better than what's expected? So you you bring up a really good point. You know, when you walk into most of the restrooms today, they usually will have a baby change in station wall item that can come down there's usually a weight limit to that i don't know what it is but let's just say it's 30 pounds right that's fine here's the thing for many of the kids that we are working with oftentimes they find themselves in those scenarios where they are unable to manage those types of daily bodily opportunities so a family member has to go in and work with them and in some cases have to change them Well, they can be 13, 14, and 15 years of age, and you may think, oh my gosh, a normal kid or a teenager at that structure. No, some of these are kids who haven't grown to the same size of a normal 13, 14, 15-year-old kid, and they need that ability to be able to be managed. You can't put them on a baby changing station, right? Because their weight's going to far exceed that. And that's what some of our families do run into, is they don't have in some instances, proper places where they can actually go and feel like they can make those necessary changes for their children. Simple things like that. One of the other part of the conversations that really struck me was just the sensorial aspect of what these kids are experiencing when they go into space and the need for calming spaces. That's it. You know, like the ability to go into a space that that allows them to either like lay down, take a break. You know, we talk about the neurodiverse and how people who have issues with their sensitive to patterns or to light or to uh, the need that they're an extrovert versus an introvert. But I think, you know, for these kids, I think there's also that point where they also need to have a safe space, like Sam said, where they could go in and take a break too, because sometimes it's just too overwhelming. Yeah, when I, when, I, when I first joined the organization, there's a young boy named Calvin and uh, it was my third week into the organization and I was down at one of our events. I didn't wear my name badge, I had no idea who I was. And as I was standing over there, I saw this little kid and I just wanted to just say hi. And so I said hi and you can see it on his face, stranger danger, like what's going on here? And so he turns around uh, and he goes over to his mom and then I get down at his level and as I'm scooting down to his level and I'm looking at him, he literally runs right over to me. And when he runs over to me, he gives me this really big hug. So I hug him back. And then when I look up, I see his mom and his dad both crying. And they're crying, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what just happened here? What's going on? And so at the time, didn't know her name, but I know it now. Brittany turns to me, and she says, I don't know who you are, but can we get a picture? And I said, sure. So we take a picture, and then she says, I got to tell you, Calvin is one of 108 known cases of his condition in the entire world. He also has challenges with sensory and other types of um, interpersonal communication. He's never done that before. He's never run up to somebody and hugged him or hugged anyone like that. Who are you? (laughs) And so I proceeded to just kind of share And she said, oh, my gosh. And so she and her husband, Mike, are both standing there crying. And I said 
from that point forward, I am your Sherpa. <laughs> at any adventure that we are at, I am going to be there for you because this is an amazing experience. It's a breakthrough. So you're absolutely right around the sensory components of everything that happens with these kids. We have kids who are challenged in all kinds of ways, but the beauty is when they come to our adventures, when they're around the people who support us, when they're out there and they really want to be normal as a kid, we create those environments for them. At that moment, Calvin felt normal. And those are the things that we love to do and put smiles on the faces. Energy doesn't lie, though, Oyama. You're a great human. And I think that anyone can feel that. That's so interesting. I think people think about even autism. Let's take that as an example. And you you know, have to be identified on the spectrum. We all are neurodiverse, whether or not people realize it. And if you have low GABA, which is a high level of stress, your body then is, is compensated by you. your GABA levels are decreased in your body. You can have sensitivity to light, to sounds, to smells. You know, one sign of low GABA, you have really racing thoughts. You have really a lot of trouble loosening up. These are things that these kids live in. And that's their place of normalcy, where for us, that's when we're at a point of burnout or a point of, you know, complete exhaustion. For them, that's so normal. So finding ways to tailor them. What I'm so curious about is you went from this executive in the, in, in you know, insurance industry and you had all these big roles and you were like, you know what, I'm leaving it all. I'm going to become the CEO and president of a kid again. I'm going to take on this role that never even existed prior to you. So what were those like key transformative experiences that you had whether they relate to accessibility, inclusivity, diversity, whatever, that shaped your path? So I'll sum it all up to say, and, and I'll try to keep the, um, the entire sort of process a little bit brief here, but the reality is, is we're all out here trying to make a difference in some capacity. For some people, it's in the business environment. For others, it's in the civic environment, and others, it's in this nonprofit space. However you choose to go about life, that is phenomenal. When I was in the corporate side, I was very much a climber, very much about how do I make more money, um, how do I continue to provide for my family, all those kinds of great things. But there is a level of sacrifice that comes along with that. And in that sacrifice, I end up tipping the scale probably too much on sacrificing my connectivity and my relationships with my family. All that simply means is I spent a lot of time on the road. So in the end, um, that catalyst, that catalytic moment, that literally led me to say, I've got to do something different and that I wanted to start living a life that provided some level of a simple four letter word, which is good, an ability to do good, was when my daughter, who is um, at the time was 14 years of age on October the 1st of 2016, um, suddenly collapsed as a cheerleader on the football field. Uh, I won't go into all the details except to say you fast forward and we ended up down at Nationwide Children's Hospital, which is an incredible hospital. And to this day, we thank them for everything that they have done. But when we went entered into that hospital, in a span of 30 minutes, our child went from us not knowing anything about why she was there, still here, still loose, you know, kind of lucid to a degree, uh, but unable to be responsive in the way that we needed her to be, which meant they were trying to put an IV in and her vein started to collapse. They end up intubating her. So now again, 14 years of age, healthy young girl, here we are in the emergency room. And in a span of 30 minutes, we went from, hey, let's take her down to the CT scan room so that we can get a scan because when she fell, she hit her head. We want to rule out of concussion. I'm going to paint the picture in the room. So when we were in the emergency room, there were two people that went to three people that went to 24 people that included the head of the emergency room, the American Red Cross showed up, and the chaplain showed up. So as you can imagine, in our minds, and in our, we, my wife and I are both thinking, what in the world is really going on here? 
And so when we went down to the CT scan room, they radioed down, canceled the scan. My wife's motherly intuition kicks in. She goes running back to the room. I go running in right behind her. And no sooner than we got back, my daughter flatlined on the table. Oh my God. So complete loss of life. The only thing that was still moving at the time was the fact that they intubated her so oxygen was still pushing into her lungs. And I'll never forget, the head of ER said, if you're not in life-saving mode, step away from the table. And this one nurse jumps up on the table and starts delivering CPR like I've never seen it done before. This is not like what you see on TV. This is real-life stuff that is happening. And so for the better part of 10 minutes, my daughter was completely out. And then all of a sudden, a heartbeat came back. So we spent three weeks in the PICU. She was unconscious for about half of that time. Till this day, she's considered a medical mystery and a medical miracle at the same time. We know that she went into septic shock, and septic shock typically has a one out of two survival rate. There is no other ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's a 50-50 deal. So she beat those odds. Fast forward, I spent about six months as a stay-at-home dad because I left all of that corporate stuff behind because you figure out really quick what's most important to you, and it's my family. My daughter was important to me. And so in that journey, as a stay-at-home dad, I had great conversations with others out there in the community. And as much as I said, hey, this is something that I wanted to do, they said, no, just go be a volunteer, go serve on the board. I said, no, I want to actually live the mission and the vision of something that is about family and youth advocacy. And I eventually was presented with this opportunity around a kid again. So I'm leaving out a lot of the details, but here's what I will tell you is in that moment when my daughter fell ill, and let me fast forward and say she's 19 years of age, she's down at The Ohio State University, she's doing well now, um, but in that moment, we had a community of people who rallied behind us. There wasn't, I don't think, anyone in Central Ohio at the time who didn't know about the cheerleader who collapsed at the football game. They had a Facebook page that was started by the kids themselves that had 350,000 people following it. So when you think about the dynamics around all of that, it pushes people like me who have certain skill sets to be able to say, how can I help others? Talk about spotting the orange car. I didn't know a kid again at that time, but then I learned about a kid again and the magic that it provides, because here's the thing, when this happened, our focus was just on our daughter. So our two sons felt like they were being pushed aside. This is an organization that galvanizes the entire family together to help the siblings also feel equally important. So this transformation into the nonprofit world for me came at a catalytic moment where I tell people I didn't enter in willingly, I got pushed. And I got pushed by my experience, but I also knew that I had skill sets that could help this organization achieve at the time what it wanted to, and that was to become more aware and more known as an organization and to grow and to be able to serve more families. And having done that level of work on the corporate side, this to me became an easy, no-brainer opportunity. And I have been blessed and fortunate to continue to be able to provide this service and be able to lead this wonderful team and to be able to serve so many families, to be able to engage with incredible partners like you all as well here at MA that want to make 
a meaningful difference. There's a difference, I'd say. There's, you can make a difference, but I'm talking a meaningful difference in the lives of others by not only wanting to put that smile on a kid's face, but as we all want to do, when we wake up every morning, just live a simple four-letter word, and that's just to do good. And that was my driver. Uh, <laughs> um, wow, I'm never without words. I will say I knew your answer would be good. I didn't know it was going to be that powerful. I don't think I've ever cried on a podcast before, but I literally was having to take some deep breaths. You are so incredible, Oyama. And the journey that you have traveled to be here will now not only change your family's life, but the lives of thousands of others. And I feel so honored and humbled to, you know, personally and professionally with MA, be a part of that journey. You are doing life-changing work. And the path that you've gotten to push you to this place, like you said, push you out of corporate America into this life of good uh, is just what a what a moving that is I'm without words <laughs> yeah I mean if you want motivation this is this, I mean I nearly cried twice during this episode so I'll just go ahead and own that um I think you know what struck me the most is well there was a lot but I think one of the things that struck me was you talk about how you felt included now and you talked about how you felt like you were part of a community and I think um you know I would like to just ask there's a lot of different um, challenges that you have to face with the families that you work with. There's a lot of diversity, you know, and there's a lot of talk these days about like diversity and inclusion and what that means. You know, what would you tell somebody, a business or somebody who's looking to like help with diversity and inclusion or be a part of changing for the better for uh, diversity and inclusion? I, I keep things really, really simple. And that is, is you will never be the best you as a business company or entity if you're not reflective of the community that you serve. That is the only way you're going to be the best you as a company, an organization, or entity is to be reflective. So are we without our challenges? No, we still have our unique challenges. We have an influx of those who are from the Latino community. We are starting to see a few more Somalian community members join the organization. We have some that English is not their first language. And so we run into a few barriers, and we're trying to do our best as a nonprofit organization to make sure that we can help and we can be of assistance and we can help them feel connected to who we are. But every time I go out and have this conversation with business partners or with other leaders in major, major companies in Fortune 100 organizations, I will always tell them, if your leadership is not reflective of the community that you serve, if the leadership is not reflective of the people that are a part of your organization, and if you're not doing all those things to really align around it, then you're wasting your time. Because at that point, all you're doing is you're blowing hot air. So we need you to really be reflective of those that you are trying to serve. That's inclusive of race, ethnicity, gender, you name it. Because if you're not, you are wasting your time because someone else is going to step in there and they're going to do it better. And they're going to be reflective of the community. And that's what we need. Because when you are reflective of that community, you have a better understanding of some of the cultural nuances, too, that allow you to be able to really connect and be able to help serve them better instead of being in what I call the assumptive mode, right? Which is we assume rather than learn and truly know. So that's what we're doing. We have a really diverse board over at A Kid Again. We are building a more diverse staff at A Kid Again. Our volunteers are extremely diverse because the families we serve, it is not only condition agnostic, but cancer, sickle cell, cystic fibrosis doesn't care who you are. 
It doesn't matter if you're black, if you're white, if you are Asian, Latino, male, female, cisgender. It doesn't matter. It will cut across all of that. And we want to make sure we can be there to serve those families the best we possibly can. So, you know, the close of our show, what we typically ask people is, you know, what are the signals and drivers? So when I, as a futurist, I look for the drivers, which are the big macro changes that are happening that are affecting us. And then signals are like the little moments. So in your opinion, you know, what are those signals and drivers that you're seeing that are going to have a positive effect on um, businesses or the, the community that you're serving in the next 10 years? You know, the reality is, and uh, I think we've all been seeing this come coming, and that is uh, even for future employees of companies, even for those who are starting their own businesses, there is an undertone that is starting to get amplified, I say almost daily, and that is, is if your company or if your business or if your organization isn't about making a difference in the community, you will quickly start to see yourself fade away because people are starting to append themselves to organizations who rally behind causes that make a difference and causes that help lead to opportunities to help enrich the lives of others. What I am seeing right now is people are starting to care more about their neighbors and they're starting to want to ensure not only that their family unit is taken care of, but that their neighbors are being taken care of. So the trends are starting to play out even in corporate America because you've got some really top talent who are asking some difficult questions of the interviewers and making decisions based off of those types of items. Culture in that organization. Are you out in the community? I don't care if you're offering me six figures. If you're not helping support and do these things, guess what? There's another company out there that's willing to pay me six figures and doing that. And that's where I want to be. So those are some of the signals and changes that we're seeing out there. What I'm also seeing is the generosity of these companies. I'm seeing more and more companies step up and saying, we not only want to make a financial contribution, but we want our workforce to physically be out there. So we're changing internally how we support that. We're giving days off. We're giving time off so they can go out and volunteer in the community, so they can go out and be there for their families. They're finding ways to connect at a deeper level, and that is changing the business landscape. When I started off many, many, many years ago, that wasn't even a thought. Volunteerism was there, but not to the magnitude that I am seeing now and not what I'm seeing companies start to reposition themselves around. So there's a lot of that happening. The financial support is happening. We also know that when companies support community endeavors, the community support those companies. It's and they're so getting true. It. They're getting so it. true. I 100% could not agree more with what you say. We've been fortunate at MA. We're in a position to be hiring again. And a lot of our top-tier talent, it was so interesting. They came. They had a choice between us and our biggest competitor, and they came to us because of our community involvement. It is such a key driver. And I am so excited to see that only increase. I am curious. Can you tell our listeners how people in the Columbus community and maybe listeners outside of, we officially have listeners in all continents besides Antarctica, um, <laughs> but could you let people know how they could get involved with your organization? Yeah. Absolutely. So we are we are fortunate and blessed that if anyone wants to help support the organization, there are a number of ways that you can do it. 
if you have time and talent, meaning if you are one of those people that love to dress up in the Spider-Man costumes and want to be able to come out and help support, we welcome that. If you have a special gift as a magician or anything else and wants to participate in our virtual adventures, we welcome that. So we welcome those types of unique ta uh, talents. Uh, we also welcome the, the financial support, and that means uh, even if it's $5 a month or $20 a month, getting in there and helping us with that reoccurring sort of donation, that means another child and another family will have an opportunity to do something they may not otherwise be able to do. Yes, we in what we call the normal society take for advantage that we can go to the zoo, we can go to the movies, we can go to a sporting event and spend $200 or $400 or whatever the case may be. These families cannot because for most of them, that's the difference between paying a medical bill, putting food on the table, or paying the utilities. And so those siblings and those kids don't have that unique opportunity to go out and have that fun. You can be the difference in the life of someone else in a thankless manner, meaning selflessly give to help someone else be able to live, to truly live and have some fun. What's $35 for most people these days? It's a drop in the bucket. What's $100 for most people today? It can be a drop in the bucket. It's the difference maker for so many of these families. You can visit us on our website at www.akidagain.org. Uh, we actually do have a cash app handle, the cash, what That's is it, awesome. the dollar sign, a kid again. Uh, so there's all kinds of ways that you can help support the organization. If you and your company have an interest, you as an individual have an interest, you want to volunteer, I even say this. For most of us, we're probably just a few degrees away from knowing someone who has a child who can also benefit from being a part of this organization. So go out to our website, go out to our Facebook, follow us on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter and help them get enrolled. Our enrollment process for families is probably one of the easiest I've seen for any nonprofit organization. We only have two criteria. They just have to be diagnosed with some level of a life-threatening condition and be under the age of 20 when they enter into our program. That's it. You go on our website, you sign up, and fill out the, uh, the application, and before long, you are now what we like to say a member of the family. That's amazing. And even bringing it up to your company. You know, if you've heard this and you've been moved by the mission of A Kid Again and the work that your organization is doing, it's worth having a conversation with your director or your manager or whoever. You always... Anyone who's listening can reach out, of course, to MA as well. We'd love to connect you guys. And I do think it's of note. It's very interesting that there is evidence that during gift-giving behaviors and volunteering that humans secrete this feel-good chemicals in our brain, which is serotonin, this mood meditating chemical and dopamine, that feel-good chemical, and oxytocin, a compassion and bonding chemical. So not only are you giving, but you're also getting something both – physiologically and psychologically. So it's very, very powerful. Oyama, I could have this conversation forever. This was actually my favorite podcast. Don't tell anyone else. <laughs> but I really, really appreciate you taking the time to share your time with us today. Share the mission. You are so moving. And I learned so much about you today. And I feel like we have such a wonderful relationship. So I am just, every time I speak with you, more and more impressed. I just really, really appreciate it. So Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. And there's a lot of inspiration for the innovations that can help our listeners find inspiration in their own lives to be thinking ahead to create change. I hope you guys can find the change you want to be to allow innovation to thrive in the way you live. Thank you so much, Oyama. 
Thank you all for having me.